thankful this morning that what you thought marked your life was just a milestone and God's not finished with you yet? Come on, somebody. God's doing a good thing, a new thing. How many of you love Jesus this morning? You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. So, 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 so good to be back home. I uh, was out two Sundays ago speaking at a retreat in Little Rock and uh, very excited to be able to have that privilege and opportunity. Pastor Haley did a phenomenal job. I listened to her message uh, coming back from Little Rock. And uh, what a powerful story about Mully, <clears throat> African gentleman who God prospered and touched and challenged him to utilize his resources that God had greatly prospered for the purpose of actually adopting and providing for the needs of multiplied thousands of African orphans. And just to see the example of that kind of level of sacrifice and to know that this is the stuff that we're made of. We're doing this series for the purpose of not just being able to say, this is part of my natural family lineage, but to be able to say, we are all part of this massive family of God that the whole family in heaven and earth, Ephesians 3 says, is named after the name of Jesus. That's the family name, folks. Come on. And as we recognize that, then we are able to, I think, tap into some strength in terms of the circumstances that we're dealing with. Everybody's got something going on in your life. Everybody's trusting God. Hopefully you are. Hopefully you're not playing that old school idea of, trying everything first, and then, well, I guess it's time to pray. I mean, wouldn't it be great if we as believers would pray first, if we go to God first and seek the name of the Lord and ask him to give us wisdom and guidance and, and give us his direction? Because if we've got his direction and his will, we don't have to beg him to bless it. How many of you know where God guides, God provides, okay? The next Sunday, I was in Fort Worth with my wonderful family. My son, Drew, his lovely wife, Holly, and my champion of a grandson, Henry Wade Smith, who's growing like a weed and jibber-jabbering all over the place, <clears throat> having a great time. I was there with them uh, Wednesday through Monday. I was supposed to fly back Monday evening about 9, 9 p.m., and the flight was delayed three hours, and when I got home, it was about 1 a.m. early Tuesday morning. And so I it was the next day on Tuesday when I had an opportunity to hear Pastor Jeremy's message on the legacy of faith and how much one gentleman by the name of Elias Panto, Pantoja, thank you. I, I messed it up in the last service. Pantoja. I loved hearing that story about how this church planter actually came to Memphis and heard about what um, Jeremy's dad, Felipe, and as the girls all call, I love uh, Estelle uh, Abuelo, is that right? It's for for mom, grandmom or mom or something. And uh, just what God was doing through their lives and through their music and their worship and their singing and church planting and how that affected Pastor Jeremy. And it was a blessing, just really touched my heart to hear that and a little bit of his spiritual heritage specifically. But this is the stuff we are made of. Say it with me. This is the stuff. Very good. Okay, today I want to talk to you just for just a few moments about the idea of courage, the Bible word courageous. Okay, I want to grab our text quickly from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, follows the Hall of Fame of Faith, where all of those great men and women of God by faith did something to the glory of God. Verse 12 says, I'm sorry, chapter 12, verse 1 says, therefore, 
Remember, when you see therefore, stop and see what it's there for. It's a connective clause connecting us to all of that by faith, all of those generations that are now part of what the Scripture calls the great cloud of witnesses, the people who've walked before us in faith. The old preachers referred to them as the church triumphant. They're in heaven. They've won their, they've won their race, okay? They're in the grandstands of heaven. They, the old preachers referred to us that are still alive on earth feet to the ground, marching out as the church militant. We're alive and pursuing, advancing the kingdom of God. We are militant because we have an enemy to fight. It's not people. It's not, um, it's not nations, but it's spirits, principalities, powers, rulers of darkness in heavenly places, Ephesians chapter 6 says. And really, to probably put it in more, I think, understandable terms, there are mentalities that rule regions. If you don't realize that there's a mentality that is dominant in the Delta, then you need to wake up, get you a good old cup of gospel coffee, and wake up and be woke in the spirit, so to speak, and recognize that the enemy is not the people who have a different political idea than us, but it's the spirits behind a lot of this stuff, and we need to pray to that extent, okay? So Hebrews 12.1 is our series text. It says, therefore... Since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. It says, since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses. Literally in the Greek, it's the word surrounded is the word amphitheater. It's the grandstands of heaven. The King James says, a great cloud of witnesses. This one really has it right by saying a crowd because it's a great number, a throng. Okay, the saints who've gone before us. But the King James uses the word cloud because it speaks of them being in the heavens. They're in the heavenly realm. And now they're cheering us on. They're in the grandstands of heaven cheering you to run your race and finish your race in what God has before you. I um, fully believe that. I have occasionally said out loud, matter of fact, yesterday, I thought about this passage and I was meditating this message and I said out loud, Daddy, pray for me. Mama, pray for me. Dawn, pray for me. Just the battle that I have in front of us. I asked an Anglican friend of mine one time, why do you guys pray to the saints. He said, we're really not praying for them to do it, but we're asking people who've already won this battle, who've gone before us to pray for us. I said, okay, I can, I can embrace that. I, got, I get that. that. That's solid. Because you are leaning into someone that you're connected to that you know has won the race, and they're standing in the grandstands of heaven cheering you, and I'm saying, granddad, Jake Blake, pray for me. Pray for me. I need it right now. The text that I'm bringing this morning, the message text on courageous is from Joshua chapter one. The word of the Lord. Be strong and courageous for you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors I would give them. God says it the second time, verse seven. Be strong and this time he says what and what? Very, say it like you mean it, very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the left or to the right. And either the right or the left. I'm trying to do it from memory. I need to read. <laughs> then you will be, everybody say it. 
successful in everything you do. I want to hear you say this. Now listen, let me finish it, but I want you to say it just like I say it. I gotta get me some of that. Come on, come on. I gotta get me some of that. Now that's as Arkansas as you can get. Don't say that with a TH. I'm not interested in your correct grammatical pronunciation. I want to hear dat. Come on, here we go. I gotta get me. What is some of that? that we're talking about. This is what he says. If He told Joshua that if you would do... There, it's turned on me again. Let me see if I can get this thing set right. See, I don't want a, a mouse. I want... Somebody's been messing with me. All right, there it is. Then he says, if you will not deviate, you will meditate, you will obey the instructions, don't turn to the right or the left, then you will be what? Everybody, don't be afraid of the word success. It is a Bible word. Now, in case you really go, well, yeah, but what does the King James Version say? Guess what it says? Success. Success is a Bible word. You get in real, around real churchy folks, and most of the time they, they will say, well, you know, success just sounds worldly. How about fruitfulness? Okay, guess what? If, you're, if your business is fruitful, what are you going to have? If your children are fruitful, what are you going to have? He says, then you will be successful in what? You're going to prosper whatever you put your hand to, Psalms 1 says. Okay, let's go read on. Here we go. Verse 8, study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so you will be sure to obey everything in it. Only then, only then you will say it, prosper and in all you. One more time. I got to get me. Man, y'all are good. That's great. I just taught you a, a delta colloquialism, some of that. I remember being on the T-ball the field at KNR Park and some daddy was there with his son who got up to bat and he said, get you some of that. And I said, that's mine now. <laughs> get you, get you, G-E-T-C-H-U, get you some of that. So this morning, I want to help you get you some of that, some success and prosperity because the blessing of the Lord is on your life. Go back and look with me quickly, please, before we pray. Notice in verse 6, God says it three times. Be strong and courageous. Verse 7, be strong and very courageous. Verse 9, this is my command. I guess we didn't stop. We, did, we stopped too soon. Go back. Verse 9, sorry team and the media team. That's my fault. Look at verse 9. This is my command. Say it again. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Now, that's the work of the enemy when when you are discouraged, somebody has sucked the life out of you. You've, you've lost heart, okay? Dis, in Greek mythology, is the god of the underworld. When you have dis-ease, it's the work of the enemy. He is stealing your ease. You are diseased. When you are discouraged, he is stealing your courage. We're not about discouraging people around here. We're about encouraging. We want to inject some strength into your heart. Come on, somebody. Do you, would you like some of that this morning? Now, how should you respond to that? I got to get me. There you go. Now, this is the, the last line, and this is the whole thing is tied together with this. For the what? For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Folk, you need to recognize that you are a majority when it's just you and God. You don't, you don't need the latest straw poll. You don't need a marketing team. Nothing wrong with any of those things. Appropriately used, 
but recognized that as a believer, as a kingdom man, as a kingdom woman of God, you are already in a majority when it's just you and God. Somebody say amen. My one thing, and then we're going to pray. One thing, courage is strength of heart that comes from honoring the presence of God in everything you do. Say it like you mean it. Here we go. Courage is strength of heart that comes from honoring the presence of God in everything you do. Now, y'all, first, the first service did better than y'all. Come on, wake up. Look at me now. Everybody say it like you mean it. Courage is strength of heart that comes from honoring the presence of God in everything you do. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for this service. It is a privilege to stand before these wonderful people. We're your servants. And I thank you for the name of Jesus. Thank you that he has that name which has been given, the only name given among men whereby we must be saved. And we thank you for Jesus. Thank you for what he has done for us. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who is now working in us. Thank you that you came in here today because you reside on the inside of all of us. And you're changing us even as we sang this morning from the inside out. I stop right now. My heart has been shaken. I have grieved this week, Lord, at the families who've lost loved ones, at that tower of condominiums that crashed in Surfside, Florida. Be with those families who's, who've already gotten the words that their loved ones have passed. Strengthen them. Encourage. Be the spirit of courage in them, Holy Spirit. Be with those first responders that are still digging through rubble and those that might be alive hanging on to life and hope that they'll be found and rescued. Lord, be with the family yesterday that had the crazy circumstance of a car crash through their backyard and kill one and another one was airlifted to Memphis. God, be with them. Strengthen them. Lord, we as the people of God, we need revival. Touch our nation. Let something begin in me this morning, Lord. Begin in this church that would radiate out and literally touch the nation. Thank you, Father. We look to that. We, we will not quit until we see that, until we see the kingdom of God taken by force and advanced in Jesus' name. It is in that name we pray and everybody said, amen. Point number one, quickly, courage defined. It's important to make sure that we understand the words that we speak and the words that you're hearing You've heard me use the illustration before, but I can say apple. Someone will see a red piece of fruit. Someone will see a green piece of fruit. Someone will see a golden delicious from Washington State. Someone will see a computer. Someone will see a phone when we say apple. So there are a lot of different images that you can get, and it's important that our communication is clear. So we want to define what courage is. Too often people think courage is the absence of fear. And I want you to know that courage is strength in the face of fear. The, the English dictionary says courage is the ability to do something that frightens one. Someone who is courageous is brave in the face of fear. They're alert to danger. They're recognizing the risks that are involved, but something has arisen in them that is stronger than the fear that's trying to grip and limit them. The second definition is strength in the face of pain or grief. I have been courageous in points in my life, but I've never had to draw up from my toenails the amount of courage that it took when I found my wife in the backyard at the fateful decision that she had made to check out early. Nothing has so interrupted and challenged our family and our own walk with God and our own belief in God. Um, I don't know that I... 
I, I still don't understand, and I know that I won't until I see Jesus. And there was a period that I had to work through, not just being able to say, I don't understand. And I told my baby girl, I said, Abby, honey, I, I, I know that you're in a different place and a struggle your own that is unique to you, but I'm telling you, all I have is God, and I can't afford to get angry with him. I can't. I have to look to him because he's the one who's going to carry me. He's the one who's going to breathe life into me in this season. And I'm trying to hold it together for you and for Drew. And it took courage, courage in the face of grief, courage that was literally discouraging, sucking the very life, the very heart out of me. Wake up in the middle of the night, reach over in the bed for her, and she's not there. And the, the moments of, of breakdown are much farther apart now than they were four years ago, five years ago, certainly. But I had a moment yesterday and I was walking in the backyard and I just said, gosh, is she really not here? Is this really happened? Has this really happened? Because there's some things in my life that I look back and they feel like yesterday and sometimes feel a whole lifetime ago, all at the same time. Does, does anybody know what I'm talking about? And so the word courage, where we have to recognize, it comes from the French word cour, C-O-E-U-R, which means heart. And so when someone is discouraged, they've lost heart. The Bible uses the word faint. Do not faint. Do not give up. Do not lose heart. Do not become discouraged. Okay? Courage is the strength of heart that comes from honoring the presence of God in everything you do. Point number two, courage in the face of danger. Courage in the face of danger. My text is from 1 Samuel chapter 17. Three verses. It's the story of the young teenage boy. Probably the greatest uh, Sunday school, children's church, vacation Bible school story that's ever been told. And that's the young boy who was insulted that this overgrown giant from Philistine or Philistia, this old Philistine who was out there mocking the God of Israel and defying the, the armies of Israel. And he stood up to Goliath, a lot here in the story that I'm not going to go into, but I'm just going to jump to David's response that he's already, David has rushed to the Ephes Damam, to the battle, to the bloodline, the line of blood drops in the valley. That's the place in the valley where once you go past that, there's no turning back. You have to engage the enemy. Goliath is taunting, he's screaming, he's shouting, he's challenging, who is this God of Israel? And David stands up, replied to the Philistine, you come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head. I love David's faith that he's pronouncing, he's declaring it, he's speaking it into the atmosphere. And then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know. Mm. Makes me think of that old song. He's got the whole world. What is it? In his hands. It says, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle. Everybody say the Lord's battle. And he will give you to us. When you look back to the Joshua passage and you see David here, both of these guys had to be confident in who they were. God himself spoke to Joshua and he said, you are the one who will lead these people into the possess the land that I have promised them and their ancestors. You are the one. 
There comes a point in every person's life when they have to recognize that if, if something's going to change, if it, if it is to be, it's up to me. One of the elements of the kingdom of God happens to be one of the elements of, of conservative thinking, conservatism, and that is personal responsibility. It's not all the government's responsibility to take care of me. If it's up to me, if it, if it is to be, it's up to me. I have to take responsibility for my life, for my actions, for my words, for my thoughts. I have to recognize that God has gifted me with a will and with a heart and with a mind and with a spirit that is turned toward him now that I'm alive in Christ and I can focus those things in the direction of my calling and the desire that he's put in my heart and I can see it come to pass. I can't wait for somebody to do it for me. If it is to be, it's up to me. Say that with me. If it is to be, it's very good. The, the great prophet from the previous generation, John Wayne, said it this way, courage is being scared to death, but saddling up anyway. Look at your neighbor right now and say, saddle up anyway. You know, courage is recognizing you've got a serious, dangerous enemy, and you scared, or in Arkansas, you scared, S-K-E-E-R-T, scared, but you saddle up anyway. That's what mature people do. That's what adults do when someone is trying to hurt your children. You saddle up, bless God, and you're going to take somebody out. You're going to try to defy the God of Israel. A teenager stood out there and said, I'm coming to you, not with sword and spear, but I'm coming to you in the name of the Lord, and today I will cut off your head and I will kill you. I was bullied as a young child. I, I was a little fat boy. I know y'all can't even imagine that. I, my, my mama would buy my jeans from Sears, and for whatever reason, Sears decided that they would put a, a leather patch on my right, you know, and it said Husky. Now, you know, can you imagine what Husky did for me? I mean, that was my nickname, Yo Husky. Mama, don't buy no more jeans from Sears for me. Husky. I mean, and everybody, you probably everybody in this room, to some extent or another, maybe had somebody just go crossways with you or was bullied or some kind of way. And I put up with that in the first and the second grade, this same kid that taunted me, and I got tired of it in the third grade. I had a friend that would, who was older, and he would, I'd kind of hang with him, and he would always protect me. And I just finally said, you know what, I got to deal with this. I went to Bragg School. We lived about three blocks down and around on South Center. And I was coming down Reading. We'd already gotten off school property. We're standing in somebody's yard, and some kids had followed us because they knew there was going to be a confrontation that afternoon between me and this person. I'm not going to say his name. Um, I will tell you his first name. His name was David. He wasn't a good David like the Bible David. He was a, he was a jerk. And I got tired of it. And I, I had parents. My mama would tell me, son, you're a Christian. You love God. Christians don't fight. And my daddy would get me off when mama wasn't around and he would say, son, pick up whatever you have to and beat the hell out of them. <laughs> I don't want to offend you. How many of you know sometimes it's just, it's better to be real. And so I took the best of both of those streams. That day when I looked at him, I was scared 
I was just about trembling, and I summoned some courage. I pulled it up from my toenails, and I looked at him, and I said, David, and I remembered this story right here. I said, David, today I'm going to beat the hell out of you in the name of Jesus. <laughs> name of Jesus from my mama, the other from my daddy. I lunged at him, grabbed him around the neck, threw him down on the ground, flipped him over, and jumped on him and broke two ribs. I, I, a little, I overdid it a little bit. I confess, I overdid it. I mean, I was ready to kill that giant's head and cut his head off. But I'll tell you one thing. He never messed with me again. How many of you know everybody in your life, no matter what you're facing... Some of you are battling some addictions in this room, and I want you to know you're not by yourself. You're very courageous because you're battling something that right now looks like it's bigger than you are, but you just don't know how big you are with Christ, in Christ. But you can't wait for somebody else to do it for you. If it's going to be, it's up to me. That's you, okay? And you have to take some personal responsibility and you have to summon some courage and you have to get strength of heart in the face of fear. And as believers, we know that that strength that comes by acknowledging and honoring the presence of God in everything that we do. It's important. Nelson Mandela, unjustly imprisoned for 27 years in South Africa in a cruel system of apartheid, He gets released from prison, and the next election in 92, he is elected as the, goes from the prison to the prime minister's house. Oh, if there ever was a Joseph story in current history, it's the story of Nelson Mandela, who was a believer who loved Jesus. He would regularly visit the church planting network, network that I was a part of years ago. He would go to their great big church in, uh, it was, they had one in Cape Town and one in Johannesburg, and I don't remember which one that he would go to, but he would go and visit, and they would pray. They would lay hands on Nelson Mandela and pray for him. I know the people that did that. And he said this. He said, courage is not the absence of fear, but the triumph over it. What a story. My, my third point is courage to speak to injustice. We gotta know what courage is, and we have to have courage in the face of danger. And this one is courage to speak to injustice. Matthew 6 33 says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these other things that concern your life will be added to you. If you will seek first the government of God, the kingdom of God, he is the king, he's the ruler, he's the boss over the dominion, which is your life and this whole planet. Seek his lordship. Seek his control in your life like we sang this morning. I give you control. Again, I don't know how Scott read my mind and picked so many songs that just dovetail what I'm preaching this morning. It's awesome. Seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. It's the exact same Greek word, dikaiosune. Righteousness in the New Testament and justice are interchangeable. Righteousness, right standing with God. Justice means that we take that right standing that we have with God and we apply it horizontally to our brothers and sisters. We cannot sit here blinded and ears covered and mouth covered and not speak up against injustice when we see people being treated unfairly and unjustly in our society. 
Red and yellow, black and white, they're precious in his sight. Rich and poor, educated, uneducated, all of the, the things that people use to draw distinctions and differences. When you ever truly get an identity in Christ, it is greater than all of that other stuff. In Christ, we are new creations. Y'all get anything out of this? Don't shout me down now. Are, are you, uh, I, I think I'm saying some stuff. Are, are y'all hearing me this morning? Courage to speak to injustice. Harriet Beecher Stowe, the author of Uncle Tom's Cabin. If you would, yeah, put up the picture. This is Harriet. She was herself a Congregationalist minister, a preacher of the gospel. She was born to Lyman Beecher, who was a famous uh, Second Great Awakening preacher, and he had 13 children, seven sons that were all ministers of the gospel. One of them became a famous one, Henry Ward Beecher. That's Harriet Beecher Stowe's brother. So seven brothers that are preachers, a sister Isabella that's a, 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 a social reformer and a sister Catherine who is a teacher and a writer as well. And, and, and Harriet Beecher, who married Calvin Stowe and she becomes Harriet Beecher Stowe, has a burden on her heart to write a story that will touch the hearts of people in America, both North and South, and will challenge them to see the plight of the African-American due to the transatlantic slave trade. The North received it, and the South was challenged to a newfound hospitality that began to occur, which was just sort of a Band-Aid on the sore. The Civil War began, and she was invited to the White House, and President Abraham Lincoln walked into the room where she was sitting waiting for him to come, and he says, so you're the little woman who wrote the book that started this great war, huh? God can use your skill, your talent, your heart's desire to be able to change the thinking of people so that the kingdom of God can advance. We're, we're not battling people. We're not, we're, not, we're not battling nations. We're not battling states. We're not even battling the other guy who has a different political ideology than we do. We're battling the spirits that try to keep us divided in this nation. She wrote a book. Two hymn writers got together and wrote probably one of the greatest. It's my favorite Christmas carol. Oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope the weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Fall on your knees, O oh, hear the angel voices, O oh, night divine, the night when Christ was born. O oh, night, O oh, holy night, O oh, night divine. Everybody knows that first verse. We're all familiar with the second one. Led by the light of faith serenely beaming with glowing hearts, by his cradle we stand. O'er the world a star is sweetly gleaming, now come the wise men from out of the Orient land. The king of kings lay thus in lowly manger and all our trials born to be our friend. He knows our need. Our weakness is no stranger. Behold your king. Before him lowly bend. And that repeats. But most folks don't know the third verse because a lot of people don't sing it. I asked someone to sing this years and years ago, way back, and you don't know who I'm talking about, and I'm not going to tell you. And they wouldn't sing verse 3. And I said, we need verse 3. 
Verse 3 says, truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Chains shall he break, for the slave is our brother. This was written Civil War period. Chains shall he break, for the slave is our brother. This person had the revelation that the gospel of God is not just a soul-rescuing mission to populate heaven with, but it's something that is comprehensive that will touch every aspect of your life. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And during this time, it was for everybody except for the African-American slave. And somebody was brave enough, courageous enough to speak to injustice and to write a song that has challenged the nation. 150 years later, it doesn't seem like a big deal, but it was in the moment it was written. A lot of folk were highly critical. I'm not going to sing that. Sweet hymns, and in his name, all oppression shall cease. Sweet hymns of joy and grateful chorus raise we. With all our hearts we praise his holy name. Christ is the Lord than ever, ever praise we. His power and glory evermore proclaim. His power and glory evermore proclaim. I, I say this because I'm going to tell you, and, and I, I don't, I'm sorry I want to say this with all humility, but my baby girl has that same calling on her life. She's going to write songs that are going to change music and that will affect some change in the world. Somebody asked me, says, well, is her album a worship album? Well, she's worshiping all over it, but it's not about a church song. It's about singing kingdom truth. It's about recognizing the things that some other folk don't want to recognize. And I want you to see that my last point, and this is speaking to all of us right now where we are, this is the crux of the matter. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is the shoe leather of the gospel. The last point is courage to change. It's so easy for us to look back in history and see the struggle that people faced and those on opposing sides and, and know the, the, the outcome of history and who got the victory and now just to accept it as fact and look back and say, how could those idiots oppose that? And we see it now, and it's so easy to look back and see that, but yet in the battle that we're facing right now, we are the generation that are standing against change in areas that 50 years from now our grandkids are going to say, what was wrong with those people? We need the courage to change. I'm not trying to change your politics or your ideas about anything like that. I'm just wanting you to see that the kingdom of God is bigger than whether you're a Democrat or a Republican. That's all I'm trying to help you see. That means that you are pursuing a biblical standard and not a party line. That's all I'm about. In just trying to, in just trying to rehearse that and get it out, folk have drunk the Kool-Aid to such a degree that they've gotten offended at me and they think I don't like a former president. And that is not, God knows that is not in my mind. It is about trying to raise our eyes up above this battle of division here and help us to see that we are citizens of the kingdom of God. Come on, somebody. The courage to change means you can see something sometimes that other people can't see. One of the greatest stories that I know, and there's multitudes of them, but I love this one because this one will hit home for all of you guys. There was a doctor in the 1860s by the name of Dr. Joseph Lister. 
if you would go ahead and put that diagram up for me, this is, and I'll just, I'll just give my punchline away, this is how Listerine came into being. Listerine, the mouthwash. I'd encourage some of you to try that out. <laughs> it's a joke. Okay, come on, y'all lighten up a little bit. All right, 1860, Louis Pasteur's theory that invi invisible germs are the cause of numerous infections inspired on English doctor, inspired an English doctor named Joseph Lister. Now stop right here. You know what? It's 150, 161 years since then. There is not an idiot in the room that would deny that germs exist, even though your eyes can't see it. But do you know how much ridicule he got when this was on the edge of truth? Do you know they tried to run him out of town? They tried to get him disbarred. That's the legal term from the bar exam, but whatever it is from the medical board. They tried to snatch his medical license. He was a devout, God-fearing, Jesus-loving Christian who got frustrated because he felt like he was called to help people. He was a surgeon, and he would go in to remove the masses from these bodies of these patients that were killing them, and the mortality rate was outrageous. It was through the roof because the practice of medicine, the way they'd always done it, the way Granny did it, the way Mama did it, well, this is the way we've always done it. They would open somebody up in surgery without even washing their hands. They didn't have a sterilized field in the, the, the operating room. They didn't even wash the tools. They would finish one bloody surgery from one person and take those same tools over and cut open the next person. And so the germs that were in the one were transferred to the new one because nobody believed this idea that there were in, invisible yet living creatures that made you sick and gave you infections. But Louis Pasteur from science came along and Dr. Joseph Lister got frustrated because he knew he had a calling of God on his life to help people and he cried out to God. Now Listerine won't tell this side of it. But because I've read the history of Lister, I know this story. He cried out to God and he said, God, lead me. I know that this is your call on my life to help these people. What is wrong? Why are these people dying that I'm trying to help? And God led him to the Old Testament book of Leviticus, which shows the, the important laws of ceremonial cleanness, of washing, quarantining people when they're sick. The word quarantine comes from the word 40. For 40 days, they would be outside the camp until the, the symptoms left them and they were no longer infectious to the rest of the camp washing and cleansing and so he began to get the idea okay maybe I need to wash my hands maybe we should put these instruments in boiling water because he started reading Louis Pasteur and he said there's something to this germ theory now again nobody in the room doubts this now but 150 years ago people would laugh at you when you talk about invisible things you can't see are y'all hearing what I'm saying this morning Lister had to be courageous to change the way people thought about things and so he started sterilizing. He sterilized the whole field. Look at this, the second line, 1865. Lister becomes the first surgeon to perform an operation in a chamber sterilized by pulverizing antiseptic in the air. The mortality rates begin to fall. He would, he would cut them open, cut out the masses, the cancer that was in them, and they actually lived. He had a breakthrough. Listen, there are courageous people in this room this morning. There are single moms that are raising children by yourselves. There are people that are battling addictions that you think right now is bigger than you are, but you just haven't figured out how big you and God are is on the inside of you. Oh, I wish somebody would hear what I've got to say this morning and summon some courage, which will triumph over the fear that is on the inside of us. God help us. There's such a fear over this nation. 
just still we've just been absolutely we have been afraid and we have been discouraged because of this pandemic that has been upon us and it is time to shake ourselves because we have a job to do. The rest of that I'm not going to take time to read to you. You can look it up. You can Google it. The history of Listerine. Dr. Joseph Lawrence came along and devised this concoction that becomes known as Listerine because he names it after Dr. Joseph Lister who is the first one who changed surgery procedures. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying this morning? God's called you to be courageous to change. It's not about giving up everything you believe. It's about just holding what you know, but also being open to seeing something in just a little different light, a slightly different perspective. Are you hearing me? Those are people that can see change come. There are Christian inventors that are hundreds of them. I believe there's some that are sitting here in this room. Some of you are entrepreneurial. You've started businesses and God has done what this verse says. You have honored the Lord in your company and God has prospered what you've put your hand to. He's given you success. He's given you a company that's grown so you could employ others, so you could actually carry the burden of blessing multiple families. Hallelujah. I was never taught in history that Sir Isaac Newton, who gave us the law of gravity, he didn't make it, he, he discovered it. You know, the legend is the apple fell off the tree and hit him on the head. But he also wrote a commentary on the book of Revelation. He was a devout, Jesus-loving, God-fearing Christian. All of his experiments, his investigation, his mathematical research developed the reflecting telescope in 1668 he saw the world of science not as an enemy to God, but as something that would reveal the handiwork of God in creation. Cyrus Hall McCormick. How many of you, how many of you use McCormick spices? Okay. Cyrus Hall McCormick invented the mechanical reaper called the Virginia Reaper. His new machine combined many of the steps involved. I, I just moved it off my screen there, had to get it back, in, in harvesting crops. The machine greatly increased crop yields, decreased the number of field hands needed for the harvest, lowered costs, revolutionized farming. This is the advent of the Industrial Revolution. Can you imagine all those old farmers who'd farmed the same way for the last 400 years, telling this young whippersnapper who's come along with this so-called reaper, ah, we'll just keep on doing it the way we've always been doing it. Cyrus McCormick's reaper would do the work of 12 men in one day with that one machine. One simple machine, the, the, the McCormick Reaper. He was blessed at business. His harvesting machine company became part of International Harvester in 1902. McCormick's success was partially due to his mechanical inventiveness, but he was also a pioneer in business techniques. He provided credit to the farmers, guarantees that it would, their crops would come through, easy credit options, all of these things, that willingness in turn made American farmers the most efficient in the world. A nation was changed because somebody had the courage to change the way they harvested crops. Is anybody in the room hearing what I'm saying? While he was still young, he decided that he, listen to this, it says, McCormick accepted Christ at a very young age, and while he was still young, he decided that he wanted to fight hunger and saw this as a Christian task. Are y'all hearing that? That's what we need is to get 
inspiration and faith into the lives of our children so that when they go out of our classrooms in, in children's ministry and they, they go to college, that they have a heart that is filled with courage to believe God for great things so that they can invent something that will change this nation. There's in, there's, there are inventors that are sitting in this room. Come on, get to, get to work. You need to make that thing so you can make a million dollars and they help me pay this church off. Not just a million. You need to make about a hundred million. Just, just give your tithe here. Give us the ten, and we'll pay all this off. We'll be, we're setting good. Y'all say amen. He saw his work as a holy calling, inseparable from his walk with God. In 1845, he wrote, "Business is not inconsistent with Christianity, but the latter ought to be the help of the former." The Wright brothers who flew the plane at Kitty Hawk, both of them confessed Jesus Christ and were believers their whole lives. It began when they were eight years old. I read history on the Wright brothers at the beach about four years ago. George Washington Carver, African-American man, scientist, inventor, invest, in, experimenter, comes up with 400 ways that peanuts can bless us and he discovers that soybeans would restore the soil that the cotton had sucked out of the soil. Come on, farmers that are in this church are blessed because after you grow cotton so many years or corn so many years, you plant some soybeans, you reap the soybeans, you till the plant back under, and it puts back into the ground what the cotton sucked out of it. Isn't that great? It was a black man. It was an African-American man who loved Jesus and who was God-fearing who gave us that. He broke through and found that. Is anybody hearing me? Come on. I, I know I'm, I'm, I'm almost to the end. Have you got anything out of this today? Come on, we got to be courageous. Oh, man, we all love this one. Glory to God. Thank you for S. Truett Cathy. Anybody who know who S. Truett Cathy is? Come on, you all ought to know who S. Truett Cathy is. He's the one who gave us God's chicken. I'm talking about Chick-fil-A. First fad, fast food chicken sandwich. If we hadn't given us Chick-fil-A, we wouldn't know what real service is in the fast food industry, would we not? All right, I'm going to quit right there. So many other, so many other just multitudes of Christian innovators who've prayed and trusted God, and God's blessed them. They've honored the word of the Lord, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go, and they've, everything they do, they honor his presence. And because of that, God has given them courage to change, courage to invent, courage to speak to injustice, courage in the face of danger. One of my favorite stories from history is that on D-Day, when Normandy Beach was invaded, my dad was part of that. He was part of that invasion and, and was one who lived to tell about it. And dad told the story, and I've read this in history, that on that day, there was no weather like they had. There was absolutely no prediction whatsoever. But out of the blue, before the planes flew in and the guys began to parachute down onto Normandy Beach, a cloud cover rolled in from nowhere. Had that cloud cover not rolled in, the German soldiers would have been able to pick off the Americans before they ever hit the ground. They're flying down as their parachutes, and boom, they just shoot them down in the sky. But you know what prevented them and kept them safe so they could land and so that truth could prevail? God moved in his mysterious ways and moved in a whole front, a whole cloud system that hid them from view until they were already on the ground and the Germans were defeated. I don't, that stuff just turns my crank when I think about how God has shown up in history. 
when this is the stuff we're made of. There's nothing, there's nothing you've done that the love of God cannot surround and absorb. There's nothing that you face that the power of God cannot overcome. You're courageous, you're trusting God, you're believing, you're working, you're walking, and you recognize that if it's going to be, it's up to me. You're taking personal responsibility. Just don't forget to honor God and his presence in everything you do, and he will show up and prosper and give you good success. How many of you believe that this morning? Put your hands together and give him praise. Hallelujah. Help me, Holy Spirit. I'm finished. I, I just want to say, if there's anybody in the room this morning that has, you've felt encouragement come in. You felt like the Spirit of God has injected some faith. Hey, God's got this. The impossible becomes I'm possible. With God, all things are possible to them that believe. So this morning, I just want to summon some courage from way down in your toenails and I want you to pull it up and actually it really gets kind of magnified when it comes up through your heart because that's where the Spirit's residing. Holy Spirit mixing in. Heads bowed, eyes closed, nobody looking around. If anybody in the room has been touched or challenged to trust God in a new way, I ask you today if you would like for me to pray for you right where you're seated. You don't have to come up here, but if you would just take a second and slip your hand up. Let me see your hand. Yes, it's far back. Yeah, all over the place. Okay, yeah, come on there. See them going up. Yeah, there's one there, one in the back over there, one in the back over there. All right, beautiful. As we pray this morning and close this service, all those songs we sang are so in line. The fear that once held us sway has now given way. Courage can triumph over it. Heads bowed, eyes closed, nobody looking around. Would you just, everyone in the room, repeat this after me. Say this now. Father, my heart is stirred. Courage has strengthened me. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. I look to you. I honor your presence. I lean into you. Your word says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I ask you right now, Jesus, save me. I trust you. Be Lord of my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. And all of God's people said,